So maintaining our internal structure means the kind of rhythms of the day and the sitting, walking, standing, reclining, resting, uh, simplifying. So your your day has a certain structure to it uh, that's adequate. And then you begin to be able to release uh, that which is not purposeful, irrelevant or distracting or even stressful. In a very simple structure. Of course, it takes quite a bit of time to adjust to such a radical simplicity. And so there's a certain test that uh, it's not not a critical test, it's just it does test your system, it does pressurize it. And all the energies that are normally going out, flickering, racing over a number of things in different directions, past, future, organizing, possibilities and so forth, all the energies moving out, handling things rather briskly, and then you suddenly cut engines and it all comes rushing home and it can be quite an impact when it happens. So we exercise, we embody using the walking body, the sitting body, the breathing body just to ease up the impact of uh, energies that come running through and uh, the chitta really hasn't been able to hasn't learned to to handle because normally it's just it's off to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And now there is no next thing. <laughs> yeah. It's still emphasis or inclination towards something approximating to stillness or stability. In which the very idea of next thing creates an oscillation. But without that, we can feel frozen or agitated or unable to settle. It's a test, because you have to send down deep roots, using the sitting form, the standing form, to actually embody those roots. It's kind of almost, you could say, the body is like a, a manifestation or a metaphor, even a a manifestation of, of mind on the psychosomatic domain. If the body is deeply grounded, the mind will will follow. <laughs> yeah. If the body is deeply balanced and settled in itself, the mind will follow because the two are not separate. On the psychosomatic level, it helps us to remember what we mean by mind in this Dhamma, Chitta, it's more like heart, awareness, it's not cognitive thinking organ, although it can manifest that. But its basis is embodied. It's sensitive to embodiment. And not just to the tactile embodiment, what physically we touch, but the inner embodiment of inner discord, inner 
blockage, inner stress, inner imbalance. And that's, you know, because in a way this is really our business. This is where the discord, the, the absences, that which was not provided, not fulfilled, yeah, or that which was too much or imbalanced, the residues of that remain in the psychosomatic domain and we can begin to feel them in the body even though they don't necessarily explain themselves as such. It's in this very domain that we experience both the, the suffering that we can release and the way to do that and the results. One touches the deathless in one's body. It's the expression. They do not touch the deathless who do not immerse themselves in mindfulness of body. Yeah, those quotes. <laughs> what body? What knees? Teeth? No, no. <laughs> you know, we're talking about something that's not anatomy. No, it takes a shift, because this is an area that we all experience. We don't normally give it that much attention, maybe take some medicine or do some exercise, or mostly the body we attend to is the anatomical body, the visual thing, what it looks like, really, really very flimsy external experience. That's not a personal statement. My external experience is no less flimsy than yours. It's just so what? Because <laughs> yeah. you can't even see it. <laughs> but within that, you can experience this heat and pressures, and that's what we're referring to. And when we're referring to breathing, that's what we're referring to that experience of expansion, the rhythmic flow, body receiving energy and discharging energy. The whole purpose of breathing is to receive energy from the air and so forth and then suffuse the body with that so the body is energized and then we clean out. Mm. So this is the process. You know. And we realize, you know, one does need allies to facilitate that, both because itself it's a very poignant, provocative, disturbing domain. Yeah. And it's a domain we can't manage with our thought. Thought's not irrelevant, we can't manage it. We can point to it with our thought and we can translate the experience with our thought. We can't really manage it with our thoughts. Yeah. And we can't manage it with our willpower, which is the kind of agents we normally use in our lives to manage things. And you realize trying to tell my mind to be quiet is not going to work. Trying to shut it up is not going to work. How do I deal with this agitation and querulous babbling? I say, stop it, and it won't. How do I tell it, go and focus on that? And he says, no, he just runs off. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this thing, you know? 
well, you can't do it. You need an ally. <laughs> five, actually. Uh, as it said, these five indriya merge in the deathless, meet in the deathless, combine in the deathless. They blend into the deathless. Mm. So, so where are they? Yeah. And again, this is kind of tells you where to go because faith is not a thought. Mm. Belief can be a thought. When you fixate on a particular topic or dogma, fixate, yeah, that's clinging to security, understandable. But that's not sadha. Sadha is this ripple that energizes the heart with the possibility of opening, of coming out of the shell, of shucking off the crust, of moving out of the pit of you know coming out of the agitation of the of the mind it's possible you know you may get a thought from that but you realize the thought is not that there's something much more felt impression or something on the nature of an emotion gladdening of heart that's that's sadha and you know that's kind of like that's where we start that's how we start. <laughs> Otherwise, there isn't the start. <laughs> and you see, where, where does it start? It starts in that particular domain. And that's where you work. <laughs> right? So as I was saying previously, you know, the cultivation of sadha is something that's deliberately encouraged. Like we chant, we bow, we offer. You know, that gesture of it doesn't make sense. Not supposed to make sense. It's a gesture of heart. Yeah. Of opening, of offering. Mm. And so this is often cultivated in, in Buddhist lineages. Not for some meaning on that level, but just because it itself is an expression of the opening of the heart. And then what can kindle that? Yeah. Well, we say, when I see virtue, ah, I'm gladdened. Uh, I reflect upon or get an impression, a perception of clarity, calm, purity, you know, compassion. Oh. You, know, you work through perceptions rather than concepts. Concept is abstract. You know, so you say Siddhartha Gautama lived fifth century India. Concept, reasonably accurate, probably as accurate as we're going to get. It's a concept. Perception is awakened, enlightened bringing teachings to me. Now I'm using words, naturally, to express things, but it's a sense of, it's a perception, which means it's a felt, a felt meaning. A felt meaning. Right? 
So you might have perception of your dog, for example, the felt meaning. It's not a literal description of the animal, it's a felt meaning. Trust, friendship, loyalty. So we're working in that area of felt meaning, perception, because this is the area of release and, of course, of confusion, because of many felt meanings to do with mistrust, left out, hurt, inadequate, you know, can't make it, something wrong with me. Those felt meanings are in there, kind of embedded in the, in the psychosomatic domain. Something wrong, got to make something happen. And these are meanings too. And as you practice through your life, you recognize, I changed the place, I changed the person, I changed the house, I changed the job, the same meanings are coming back. Uh-oh, something wrong here. <laughs> you know, I got the car, I got the house, I got the... D- I'm still feeling a sense of something missing. Right? So, because the perception hasn't shifted. It doesn't change unless you deal with it. You go to it, you have to go to it. And something's not very agreeable naturally and they're also extremely provocative because once you touch into the, some of these dis- discordant felt meanings boom the stories start the narratives I always do that what's wrong with me and it mind breaks up its unity scatters into should and ought and they and me and him and her and why can't I and this what and it shatters emotionally disturbed in that shattering is this emotional vortex called proliferation and then there's no no solution at all so you know when we come into that territory we say okay whatever the it's not just the thoughts but where they're coming from now if we look in the talking about mindfulness, you look, Buddha says, if you place your mindfulness, your mindfulness is established on right view, on you know, cause and effect, on the understanding of there is stress and there's a way out of it. There is skillful and unskillful. It's based upon, that's its, that's its foundation and then you place that onto what are called the four establishments um, body, feeling, chitta, dhammas. And this is really a kind of a map of the territory. Yeah. So he's saying, okay, you take a body, you can look at one external, internal, dead body, live body, whatever it is, and then breathing in and out. So you come from a more anatomical body, which is obvious, and you begin to see this is not really where the, the purpose is because bodies die, they break up, yeah? they're full of kind of viscera and mess and stuff like that. Let's put that aside. Yeah? I'm not going to get that far with this thing. Um, <laughs> but within this, there's this life force breathing in and out. 
So you move into the somatic domain, right? Sensing the body in the body. Sensing the body in the body is the phrase. Not the sensing the body by thinking about it, not sensing the body as a visual experience I can see, but sensing the body with and in the body. It's deceptively simple. What's it mean? How does the body know it's moving? What happens? How does the body know it's standing in itself? You feel these subtle senses of balances, pressures, energies moving around that are adjusting this experience of embodiment. And then breathing in and out, experience in the body. What is that? It's explicit, thoroughly sensitive to the entire body. Breathing in, I train myself. Thoroughly sensitive to the entire body. Breathing in, breathing out. Kayapati samvedi. Thoroughly, completely sensitive to the entire body. Sabbakaya. So, whole body, breathing in and out. Now my conceptual mind says, oh, breathing is something done you know, through the nostrils, down into the lungs and out again. You know, but the body doesn't know about that. <laughs> it didn't go to school, it didn't go to biology class. But it knows perfectly well how to do it. Can we allow it? Do we just study how the body knows what it's doing? The fact that it does. And studying in this area is called pajanati, which means direct knowing. And it's set in antithesis to manyati. Now manyati means conceiving. So you have these two polarities, manyati to conceive or construe, and pajanati. And we look in the first Sutra, the Majjhimi Nikaya, and there's this whole thing with the Buddha saying, you know, the unwise person construes, conceives this, construes the body, construes Nibbana, conceives of this. The cultivated person directly knows and experiences. So there's a shift. Yeah? So what is it that directly knows rather than conceives? Well, conceiving, manyati, is the function of mana, which is thinking. Thinking process which has its uses. It's abstract. We, form, we think about something. I think about something. It means I see something, bok, a little word comes up, got it. And I can store that. So I go somewhere else and say, I want one of those. Very handy. You translate the direct experience into conceptual experience so you can carry it around in your head and then bring it out when you need to. Handy little gadget. But that's not the same as direct. So a direct experience is not, it's not knowing about something, it's directly bonding and taking it in, feeling it, sensing it, how it affects you, what it affects. 
And it's only one place the effects, which is the psychosomatic embodied chitta. That's what it all, everything affects that. Right? Not necessarily disagreeable, it comes subtle, shimmering, yeah. being moved, gladdening, moving forward, opening, slightly wavering, contracting, stiffening. Yeah. If you sense it, you can feel it happening all the time. That. And you directly onto that, that territory. That's your territory. It's not knowing about anything. So that your energy shifts from this extremely, almost inflammatory thinking mind yeah, to something that's always been there, but perhaps we haven't really you know, used it that much as a system of orientation because most of our lives it goes against what we're trying to do. If I'm trying to catch a train at 9.22, I don't want to be sensitive to the atmosphere and the feeling of the platform steps under my feet and sensitively aware of other... I want to get to that platform, number 9 at 9.20, you know. <laughs> so shut all that down and get going. <laughs> right? It's irrelevant. So we, everything moves into that conceiving domain. Right? And it's inflamed. It's like if you use it so much, hyper-use hyper with all kinds of pressures and urgencies and demands and going on to it, the system inflames. And it's hot and it's stressed and it's... Uh, yeah. and it doesn't know how to switch off it's not designed to do that it doesn't know how to do that no matter how much you know you complain about it it will not do it because that just adds more inflammation to the rash you just got to back gently away. And you can't back away from something until you've got somewhere else to go. Right? So where do you go? You go into your body. Uh, that's that's process, isn't it? And where do you go to in your body that's not twinging? Breathing. And we begin to understand, you know, in this conceiving domain, the manyati domain, you know, it's active, it's geared around what comes next, 
how to do it right, what it adds up to, and there's a lot of self-referencing that goes on in that. How good did you do it? Could you get it right? When's the next thing going to happen? And then, and then, it's like we're writing a story. We're getting to the end of a word. Eventually the idea is you'll get to the end of the, of the story. That's it, you got it. You got it. That's it, you got it. That's the, that's the kind of logic of the conceiving mind. You've got the answer, fine, next thing. Now, you know, so without really understanding it, a lot of our meditation can have this background feeling, okay, we do Anapanasati, it's 16 steps, right? So one, two, I get to step four, then maybe step five, I don't know about step six, I'm stuck at six, seven, but then if I get eventually to step 10, bingo, checkered flag, release, liberation, here we go. <laughs> or, like another way, well, you know, um, stream entra, you've got 10 fetters, so if I get past fetter three, that's not bad, that's bronze medal. You've got to come back seven more lifetimes, but that's, that's a bit rough, but it's better than kicking the head, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> am I on the path to stream entry, or am I just a complete dyed-in-the-wall patugina who's going to be plugging around Sangsara for eternity? Oh, God, no. <laughs> what I have to do to get to be one of those. If I am one of those, maybe I am, maybe I'm not, but if I'm probably not actually, then I've still got to look at those other things, and, you know, attachment to fine material form. I don't know what even that is. <laughs> <laughs> but let's get to the end of the race, you know. So you can read Buddhists tie themselves in knots around this stuff. Stages, systems, and so forth. It's called attachment to systems and customs. Which, if you're into Buddhist jargon, there's one of the main fetters. And the, the, actually, the stream entries are someone who's got past the grip of the conceiving mind, essentially. <laughs> they no longer, you know, have, have this rattling voice in their head telling them who they are. <laughs> yeah. They're no longer stuck looking for the right system or structure that will spring them out of jail <laughs> or give them a nice place to land and they have confidence in Dhamma, yeah, which is non-conceptual. Yeah. So this is really the, the shift that is presented you know, that shift, a very significant shift, because in the direct perceptual experience, there's no past, there's no future. There's no self, there's no other. There's just this, a trembling, a stirring. Yeah. And there's also this, a breathing, a suffusing, a brightening, the discharging of stress, the opening, the emptying, the pausing, the space, the effortless arising, the suffusion, the gladdening, the opening, 
to the unnameable and so forth in this very body it's in the territory Mm. so cultivating virya as I've mentioned before it's that gathering of resources and recognizing you know you bleed yourself white thinking all the time just all that energy just draining out because thought takes energy yeah. we may not have much control over it we don't even dis- necessarily decide to think it's like the gate is open the energy is pouring out how much good is it doing you mm. some 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 good some not so good but the general uh, advice is curtail. Yeah. And it's not a negative thing, it's just like, you know, like summarize your thought process rather than the proliferation into them and this and it's just feeling overwhelmed. Okay, that's got it. Feeling unsettled, yep, that's got it. Uh, you know, whatever it is, feeling locked, that's got it you get the felt sense and you're translating your thought back into the direct some psychosomatic experience which is where it came from well we don't we don't have to catch a train or figure out this that and the other where's all that thing coming from the rippling in the psychosomatic domain and the rolling on of habit yeah the habit there should be something I could figure out here. There should be something I can learn, know here, and it's going to happen in my brain, in my thinking. So, could be a bit of it. The most important learning that's going to occur isn't there. The most important learning is going to occur is in somewhere else. You say the heart, simple word, there'll be, I've learned greater space around my agitation mm. <laughs> very good I've learned to not proliferate around tension oh excellent I've learned to you know, <laughs> experience what I don't like without getting into seething with hatred around it oh excellent that's a big learning <laughs> I've learned to let go of something I rather enjoyed well, you know, you must be nearly an hour ahead by now. <laughs> you put down that second chocolate biscuit, <laughs> thinking, I'm bigger than this. <laughs> I've had enough. <laughs> That's the learning that counts, because <laughs> this is a learning where fundamental dispositions are being checked, challenged, and... Hey, I don't need that. I don't need to do that reacting. I don't need, I can be bigger than than that habit, that compulsion, that assumption. Wow, that's called liberation. That's what it is. And 
get the taste of it just whenever that's there. So a little bit of space around that very wired up system that's operating, isn't there? And it, I get the feeling. So, as it said in the suttas, all dhammas converge on feeling. That's all directly experienced reality, dhammas, non-conceptual, but all that which is directly experienced reality converge upon feeling. It's a very succinct statement. What it means, if you place your awareness on the point of feeling, mental feeling, span that with steady mindfulness. Mm -hmm. You've caught all the scatterings of past, future, present, me, should, ought to, will be, could be, never will be. You've captured it all at the one point Mm -hmm. where the agitation is occurring. All dhammas converge on feeling. Mm-hmm. They're headed by concentration. They draw the mind in. They give the mind a point. Not a very pleasant point, necessarily. They're mastered by mindfulness. Wisdom exercises supervision over them. Their essence is liberation. Mm. They they culminate in the deathless and terminate in Nibbana. So if we enter into that gate of feeling, which is the direct felt experience, and keep the mindfulness to retain it there, you've got your your mindfulness, your awareness, your direct, cool, phenomenological, steadying, stabilizing receptivity on the very nerve point where the chitta starts jumping. It starts doing its thing. Pleasant feeling kind of expands reaches out, unpleasant feeling retracts, bristles, hardens, pleasant feeling sinks, absorbs. Yeah. And around that the sense of I gets crystallizes, isn't it? Yeah. I feel great. <laughs> I feel terrible. and all sorts of complexities around that. Then the emotional resonances start occurring around that. You know, I don't want to feel bad, so therefore I start emotionally reacting to feeling bad. If I'm feeling good, I want more of it. I start reacting to that. I am something because I feel good. And it's an emotional reaction. So you get this emotional proliferation and it just builds up. And we get, this is volition kicks in, intentionality. 
greed, gratification, ill will, conceit, self-forming. It's around that that reverberation. Can we just reduce the reverberation, feel bad, don't feel so good, feel a bit this, or feel great, Uh uh-huh, feeling, affecting chitta, okay, not going to quarrel with that, that's what happens, what is this chitta, what is this heart, what is it that feels, Uh, and just that, Um, directly knowing chitta in the chitta, directly knowing heart in the heart, directly knowing awareness in awareness. What does this mean? It means whatever it's doing, just like a body, there's that sense of embodiment. Whatever the mind, heart, awareness is doing or affected by, there's awareness, there's heartfulness, there's sensitivity. Now can we, by just by you know, almost like keeping that loop to no longer react to the specifics of the feeling, nor to close down the specific of the feeling, but to see the specifics of the feeling just as like a, a wave that's moving across the chitta. Because that's exactly what it does. There isn't reaction and resonancing and selfing and freezing and rejecting. The feeling arises, waves and moves through. Heart. Where does it go to? Goes into open, sensitive, empty, but actually quite pleasant. Jit is relieved to not be thrown around. So, as is sometimes rather paradoxically said, the cessation of feeling feels good. <laughs> and, you know, cessation of feeling is you numbing out? No, it means that process whereby the pleasant, agreeable, arising of something that's agreeable, wave forms, the wave forms, it moves through and it subsides because that's what it does. You don't have to make it happen, it does that. It does that and that sense of just that easing, what the chitta occurs when it's no longer concentrated by feeling, you know, attracted to feeling, made one pointed on a feeling, it's released. It experiences its own openness. Experiences its self. Experiences awareness and that the relief from being pulled this way and that way, up and down. Ah, peace. So this is how we, why I understand it and, you know, make my attempts to follow through. But of course, you know, the felt senses are extremely provocative and also kind of like encoded to stimulate by reflex. 
certain felt meanings of, you know, distaste, or particularly felt meanings that operate around the sense of I am. These are pretty embedded at a reflex level. Yeah. And if we, you know, go back, we kind of go through this who am I question, you're going to get through the circumstances, house, name, address, size, shape, you get, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and you get through that, you get back to something that's much more primary. It's not old, not young, not male, not female. It's just, I am, and it could be, and it can change, but it can be primary dispositions. Uh, and all of them will be unsatisfactory. There'll be uh, not quite enough yet, or can't can't settle yet, or don't fit yet. Uh, could do if I tried harder. Could do if I found the right person who'd help me to do it. Uh, something like that. It'll be this fundamental inadequacy of some kind. I hope it's not just me experiences this incidentally but that's what I <laughs> where I sense it <laughs> and then oh, what's the, so then that also the, this is chitta and a lot of our reflexes or our almost fundamental assumptions our knee-jerk reactions yeah, arise from this place so you get this sense of karma and as that's followed then we shape into a familiar me pattern and that familiar me pattern can be the compulsive doer uh, the compulsive non-doer <laughs> you know I, I can't I can't I don't know what it help you you know um, the compulsive disengager right? you know and, and various other aspects. And so these are not thought by any means. They're before that. And as we cultivate in Dhamma practice, you know, the theme is that you begin to deepen into this process of citta, feeling, disposition, inclination, and you work around certain uh, embodiment. Because with embodiment, what you begin to recognize that the embodiment does pretty well, if you trust it, is it does know how to let go. Thinking mind, very difficult. He knows how to put things on a shelf, but to just doesn't really know how to do that but embodiment does because it does it all the time with breathing end of the breath and cultivate that cultivate that as you when you come to the end of your out breath it's like the last one and you, you give up wait or don't even wait, just be there in an openness, listening, attending.
and the body brings it back. Right? So perceptually and intuitively that is part of breathing. You know, we may think there's one breath, two breaths, three breaths, four breaths, one after the other. No, there's only one breath. It begins when you're born and it keeps rolling till you die. And it's a loop. And this validates that open place is part of breathing. If that open place wasn't there, you couldn't do it, could it? It needs to go from breathing out to breathing in. It needs an open place for that to change over. Yeah? Just in terms of the pure respiratory process. So that's part of it. And energetically, we need that too. Right, you can have, yes, let's do it. Yes, let's do it. Right, we've, you know, that energy, that's arousal energy. And a point in which, okay, let's take a break. It has to do that. You can't just keep rum, 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 rum. Well, you shouldn't. People do. And what happens is breakdown. <laughs> Stress. Nervous system is just fried and distorted. It produces malfunction. Psychological and somatic malfunctioning. Because you've overridden the process whereby the energy system, in order to function, has to go through discharge in order to stay healthy. Discharge. And discharge, that the mind, the organizing mind, volition stops. Willpower stops. So the energy, you you can think of volition or intention as an idea in my mind, like I want to go there. That's one way of looking at it. But if you want to stand up, for example, what happens? You get the idea and then the body translates that into, okay, send some energy down into the leg, swing it over, yeah, boom. There's a movement of energy, right? That's volition that movement of energy. Yeah. Now that movement of energy, once you've done that particular movement, it switches off and you do something else. Right? I've stood up and now I'm going to start walking. I've got to the door, I'm going to turn the door handle. So that volition is shifting along in accordance with how the body needs to function this time. Now what if we don't need volition because there's an autonomous thing happening. Don't need any, any volition. Breathing out. Then the automatic energy of making it work, breathing in, which is the energy pulls in, energy releases, and then it's gone. But it's not dead, it's just gone into open state. I call it open energy. It's just poised. No intention, no willpower, no next, no last, no looking back, no looking forward, it's just poised. Okay. 
And then, in accordance with our body's lifespan, the body says, let's get going again, and, you know, pulls the breath in. So it's got its process. You see, now, if you're taking that really into, because the body, of course, however, you know, wonderful it may be in that level, so it does break down and die. The chitta can go into that, can release into non-volition. It's called Nibbāna. And it's still, it's still alive, if you like. It's still sensitive, it's still aware. There's no willpower. There's no intention, there's no volition. There's no formulation. There's no, what does this mean? There's no sense of I've got there. All that is volitionally created, isn't it? Thought is volitionally created. I've got to figure this out. What happens if you don't have to figure it out? In fact, if you recognize figuring out is a problem at this level, and you've got something else that will, will carry you into a deep sense of presence. So it's not just going brain dead, it's a transference to more vital, innate sense of presence and being. Yeah. So in the, you know, of course, Nibbana, deathless, these are exciting perhaps ideas or confusing ideas, but I think the Buddha liked it. <laughs> he didn't say, he didn't regret it. <laughs> he seemed to think it was a, it was a helpful experience. <laughs> but it was definitely not, not a kind of death, or as the mind was, was he says, sublime peace definitely can be felt. Returning to that. We're just recognizing, go back to very, before it comes to this esoteric level, just cultivate feeling, feel directly, you get a perception, which is a felt meaning, could be, she doesn't like me, or I'm the most stupid person in the room, or whatever, you know, <laughs> for example, or it's a wonderful day, love to do some gardening or what's for dinner, some kind of impression that strikes and the feeling arises, agreeable, disagreeable. Okay, that's perception, that's feeling. Now, before the volition kicks in, that you've got to act upon it or suppress it or explain it or apologize for it, <laughs> they've cut the volition and let that pass. Whenever you cut volition or cease volition or relinquish volition, the mind opens a little. And then we witness, stay on topic, stay with that strange perception or that rather awkward mood in an openness and notice how it shifts and changes. Not self. That which was so intrinsically me, 
my disposition, my habit, so intrinsically me, not self. Dispassion arises, coolness arises, relinquishment arises. Faith is strengthened, confidence is strengthened, energy is consolidated rather than dissipated, mindfulness is confirmed. The mind begins to bond with its own awareness and samadhi arises. So even in this, you know, the beauty of this is it's, it's very mundane, but looking at the details of the mundane, of our mundane, curious human nature, our curious, querulous dispositions, just, that's that. Feels like this. Now before the jump, feel it in your body, then you've got something that can hold the brake on that rush into mental action. Breathe it out. Breathe through it. Use the body's energy, use the body's system to put a handbrake on the mind's rush. Yeah. And curtail excess proliferation around that. Let me notice things pass, shift, change. And what's left, what remains, what remains is a lot more wakeful, more poised, more confident in itself. Mm. So this is the teaching. And now let's take some time for direct practice.